Welcome back. Process Preparation Performance. I'm Coach Duke. This is Coach Simmons. And we are ecstatic to have Coach Rod Sherman of Arapaho High School in Colorado here with us tonight. JR, great day. The sun is shining. COVID-19 might be lifting a little bit. I'm not sure. We still have all this get back into recovery action and going on in the States. They've let people go to stores and get your haircut. God knows I need a haircut, but my wife cut my hair last time. It's, it's doing okay. I don't have a lot left, but we're finally getting back to things. And one of the things that we've realized during this entire pandemic and crisis is that there were things that we took for granted. And we're going to talk to a coach tonight who in my research, I have a lot of respect for some decisions he's made in his life already. And I don't even know the guy, all right? But I've researched him and I'm like, this is a guy I really want to talk to. And we're going to dive into some of that. But I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you. And we've done this once already, JR. But thank you to all the people who have been listening to us with this crazy podcast idea over the last, what, one month or so? Because apparently the things that we were thinking about, people people are interested in and they want to hear hear about it so jr how did we get coach rod sherman from arapaho high school how did this happen it's a it's a lucky sequence of events so it all started with tony holler who who said hey you need to talk to coach brian kula and we had coach kula on and he said hey you need to talk to coach sherman and from a round sequence of events here we're, we're just really really lucky uh, to be able to talk to Coach Sherman tonight. Coach, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Pretty good. Where is Arapahoe? We're uh, located in Centennial, Colorado, which is a suburb of Denver, Colorado. For college football fans, we're probably uh, about halfway in between University of Colorado and Air Force uh, down in the Springs. Very cool. We were in Denver two years Go, JR and I were at a Glazier clinic. We we went, we heard some fabulous speakers. We walked outside to go to dinner and there's like a foot of snow on the ground. <laughs> I learned uh, a friend of mine was coaching at Air Force and before I took the job, I was living in Southern California previously and he told me, he goes, you know, one thing you're going to learn when you go out to practice in two hours, you got to have three different types of clothing because just in that two hour span, the weather can really change. So just be prepared. No coach, you actually had coached some out in Southern California and we had a guy on from La Jolla, California, talked a little bit about uh, Southern California and whatnot. And in researching some things on you, you were out in Orange County. So I'm curious, why would you trade that, beautiful weather out in Anaheim for close to Denver, Colorado. Yeah, you, you know, my wife and I uh, were at a school called Orange Lutheran. It's in the Trinity League, which I guess to say is big boy football is probably an understatement. Uh, modern day, St. John Bosco, Servite, Santa Margarita, J. Sarah. And in 2006, we were fortunate. We won the, the California State Championship and uh, beat all oh, those congrats. teams, modern day, Bosco, thanks. And my wife and I had the opportunity to go to a new Christian school that was starting up in Colorado called Valor Christian. And even though my wife and I were both alums of Orange Lutheran, uh, I was athletic director there and offensive coordinator. We just felt a calling to start something new. 
So we, uh, and I, I talk about it now, it seems crazy, but um, didn't really know anyone in Colorado and just picked up. We had one child at the time. We were in the middle of an adoption for our second child. Decided to move our family to Colorado to, to start something new. And we've loved it uh, for the 12, 13 years we've been here. I, I too have a, a son that my wife and I are guardians of. It, we adopted it. It was a, a very special thing in my life. And I can tell you right now that I have probably learned from, more from that young man than I've taught him. Good job, coach. That's pretty awesome that you're doing that. You know, in researching you, one of the things that I was really enamored by is that X's and O's are important. And you've obviously been extremely successful on that big rectangle that we call a football field, right? But in researching you, what struck home with me is that it's the relationships that guide us and that calling that guides us to do more for other people. In my household, we just like to call it service for others, kind of a, a you before me attitude. Can you, can you explain a little bit more about that relationship building that you're talking about and that, that calling to, you know, pick up and move and, and go where God takes you? I, at least for me and my wife, uh, our theology, you know, we don't believe that God's calling is so specific on our lives that he always says, like he does in the Old Testament, you go here right now. And if you don't go there, I'm going to place you there. And uh, what we believe is God's calling for us is to impact young people. And uh, even two years ago, when I transitioned from a private school to a public school, there were quite a few people that were basically saying, what are you doing? Uh, Why would you do that? And we just felt that it was right for us to make an impact at that school. You know, for a a specificity of calling, I I think God gives us choice. I think God gives us free will to say, go where you want to go. Be where your family wants to be but do my will. And I, I hope that uh, at some point in my coaching and, and teaching or administrative career, that, that I'll hit that mark of doing God's will where he desires. Uh, I, I feel totally fulfilled doing that right now in a public school, trying to grow a program, trying to speak life into some of the amazing kids I have. And it was uh, when I ventured into the pu- public school two and a half years ago, it was the first time I had been in a public school in my life from three-year-old preschool through my master's degree. It had all been in a private faith-based school. So it was a new venture for me. And I, I feel totally blessed to be able to interact on a daily basis with the, the kids I do. So I believe that God gives us, gives us free will, that we can do what we desire to do as long as we are ultimately pleasing him and doing what, what uh, is fulfilling our calling. What do you think was the most shocking difference from private to public? I believe in a a public school, the parents of the kids that I coach right now are more supportive even than they were at times in a private school. And and I had some unbelievable parents in the private schools I served, but the, the parents in the public school are trusting. Sometimes part of the private school culture is always wanting more. And we're going to do more private training. We're going to get our kids more if we invest more, they'll have greater opportunity and then the dividends will be worth more down the road. I've been so blessed with some of the parents of the young men that I coach now 
because as we sit down and create plans for the development of kids, it's not always about, and if they do this and this and this, that will help them even more. If I have a greater percentage of student athletes that play multiple sports now at the public school than I ever did at the private schools that I was coaching at and those types of things. But I think ultimately what I've learned is kids are kids. Kids want adults who are going to speak into their lives. Kids are kids want to be around adults who have a high vision and a high calling for their life. And that's true at the public school, the private school. It's true in homeschool. It's what every kid wants it is for adults to have a high vision for what they can do and to work with them to help them achieve that. You know, you mentioned in several articles when you were going to Arapahoe that you needed to change the culture there. And what would you say is the number one thing or maybe the, the big three rocks that you use and you hang your hat on to change that culture? It's a great question. I, I would first say that the relationships between players and coaches was going to be the most important element of our program. That uh, at the private schools I had coached at, we had discipleship groups that were small group mentorship. Each coach had six to eight kids that they were responsible to shepherd. They were going to have deeper relationships, et cetera. It was more of a biblical model of discipleship. Uh, At the public school, we believe the exact same thing was important. We call those our mentor groups. And it's probably been the best feedback I've gotten uh, during my tenure as coach that when a coach stands up at the banquet to talk about a kid, they're not always their position coach. Oftentimes they're not. We talk about our mentor groups because those are the young men who we've gotten to know their character. We've gotten to know what makes them tick. And that's a lot more meaningful when you're talking about a kid to share some experiences life on life you've had versus mm, they had 27 carries in this game and they achieved these stats, so to speak. Uh, I know my wife and I, as many of our coaches have, we've committed that we're going to have our mentor group go over every two weeks for dinner and that we're just going to share a meal with them. We're going to have life with them. We, every week, are going to spend time within our practices at the end of a practice, splitting up for what we would call mentor group time. And we might throw a topic uh, on the table this last year. I think one of our topics was, if you were an NFL general manager, would you bring in Antonio Brown onto your team? And why? Why or why not? Just to give players a chance to talk. And we've tried to train our coaches. Your goal isn't to tell them what they should or shouldn't do. Your goal is to help facilitate conversation. Probably the biggest thing we wanted to create in the culture was a congruence and strong relationships between coaches and players, that coaches weren't going to curse at players, that we were, gonna, we were there to speak life into kids, that these parents are entrusting us with arguably the most valuable possession of their lives, and it was our responsibility as coaches to make the most of that time and that relationship. Second is we wanted to develop a program that was player-centric. We exist to enhance the lives of the players. And much of the, the staff I'm blessed to work with uh, has been together for many years. And we were blessed, frankly, to, to win quite a few championships. 
And I think that experience allowed us to make sure that the program's not about us as coaches. It's not about how quickly can we become a state championship program versus how quickly can we speak into the lives of kids? How quickly can we develop relationships to teach them, to mentor them? And how quickly can we create experiences that are going to make them better husbands, fathers, leaders of our community? So we've we have team retreats and our team retreats have been some of the greatest experiences we've had within our program. This last year, we took a three-day trip to the mountains. Uh, we did river rafting one day, rock climbing one day, a ropes course one day, and just got to spend time enjoying life. But make no mistake, my life's going to go on just fine. If I never win another state championship, I've been blessed to be a part, I think, of nine or ten of them. And I'm so thankful for those opportunities. But this is about our players and helping them achieve their goals. I'd say that was second. And, and probably the third thing culturally was to develop a mindset that said we can be elite. Our school had come off a rap two consecutive three and seven seasons. I believe there was a mentality of uh, we're not going to be good enough. You know, we're not, we don't have as many elite players as other schools. We are in a conference with schools that are 25 to 40% bigger than us. And our pipeline for players coming in from our feeder schools isn't good enough. And we've worked to change that to say, we want to build a program that kids want to come compete in that's going to honor the kids we have. And at the end of the day, we can feel great about that. And I just have a hard time thinking if we do all those things, that success on the field won't follow. So frankly, our weight programs had to improve because we probably didn't work hard enough year round. But that was secondary to the, the beginning elements I talked about of can we develop relationships with kids and have those be life-giving uh, and sustaining over many years to come. I would agree with you on the, the state championship statement. I was lucky enough to win one with baseball here in 2017, and, and we worked extremely hard to get there. But once you've done it, it'd be great to win another one. Everything else that goes on, you remember all the stories that, you know, everybody tells about just crazy stuff that went on or something some kid said, or, or you remember that stuff a lot more than you do just the, the daily grind of everything. And another thing that you spoke about, I, I agree uh, with a lot of what Fergus Connolly says with just the emotional health of athletes. It, it's such a huge piece to the process here to be able to get the most out of kids, even though you might not have said it in that respect. I think that's exactly kind of what you're talking about. I think one of the things you referenced first of the memories we have, uh, I I would guess that the majority of memories I have are not the final play of a state championship game. I remember 2009, we had a 14-0 undefeated season. I remember that one of our traditions we started that year was a foot washing ceremony at our team retreat. And man, I remember that. Uh, I remember I coached in 2006 a young man named Aaron Korf. He's a quarterback. He's a college football coach now. I don't remember all the games we played. I remember we won 
some some crazy games. We beat Long Beach Poly and Snoop Dogg was on their sideline and they were pretty talented. What I remember is all the Tuesday nights that he would come over to my house for dinner. And I remember after dinner, we'd watch film and then he and Billy Vinovich would stay and we'd watch house together with my wife and my daughter who had just been born, right? Like those are the things that as a coach you remember. And as a young coach, yeah, I probably chased that success piece too hard and and don't get me wrong man I, I want success for our kids because they work so hard I want that for them but but I realized my life's gonna go on uh, I, I used to joke you know the day after the state championship game if we're fortunate to play in it I'm probably going to to Home Depot to do some honeydews whether we win or whether we lose yeah it's gonna right. go on and I kind of committed to myself that if if I couldn't rebound from a, a tough loss or if I couldn't come back to earth after a great victory after a couple of days, it was probably meant that my pride and my ego was getting in the way of my impact for kids. And I probably needed to step away because it had too much of a, a handle on me. I agree completely because Tuesday nights for me are the night when the offense comes over to my house as OC and we, we sit, we have a meal, we break bread. We pray before we eat, we watch a little film, and then usually I have some kind of crazy activity. But one that I found that the kids love the most is I call up a former player and I put him on FaceTime and we put him on the screen and the kids remember them from a year, the year before or whatever it may be. And you just start watching those guys interact and those guys are playing a college sport or they're just in college and the kids get a chance to ask the kid that they trusted one season ago, how is their life going? What's it really like? Not only do I get to see them, you know, relax and loosened up and around my family and stuff like that, but I get to see them just be cool and be who they are, right? And they don't have to worry about, well, if I say this, coach is going to get pissed off at me and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to run or do whatever. And you're absolutely right. JR and I talk about this all the time. Kids don't change, right? The people who are teaching those kids may change, but the kid is still a kid when he's born. He, he's, he's taught some inherent processes that go on. And if your view is skewed, you're skewing the viewpoint of that, of that child who's trying to learn. Great stuff, Coach. I love yeah. that. I want to I wanna dive into some other stuff later, like offense and defense and that stuff. But to be honest with you, that's all secondary to me. I, I love this part of the conversation. But I do want to talk about a tough time when you moved to Arapahoe because I read the article about a, a couple of students who passed away. You're there in 18 and you had to make a decision about a game on Friday night. Your decision was one that was different than a lot of other people. Other sports in the school played, they, they went out, they did stuff and you guys said, you know what? No, this is too important. We're not playing. If you don't mind talking about that just a little bit. And the only reason I ask is because I had a buddy who coached in Colorado a year after the movie theater incident and he was at the school where all that took place and, you know, going through it and listening to him deal with that situation one year later was very tough, but you're involved with the situation. It's right there in front of you. How do you handle that as a head coach? Yeah, it was, it was a, a tough time in the lives of our students. You know, just a little background. We, uh, I remember we lost a, 
that's a tough game on a Friday night. It was our league opener. Uh, we were four and one at the time. And, you know, probably like every coach, you have high expectations for your kid. Thought we could have played better. Rabbit trail, if you will. I, I remember coming home and I think we lost by three or four scores. And I was frustrated. My wife sat me down and after we got the kids to bed, she goes, you know, hon, I, I watched. Uh, my wife's very perceptive and really understands athletics. And she goes, you know, during the entire game, your kids are with you. I could just see it. You know, after the game, we have a tradition of bringing all our parents down. And we don't address the kids without the parents there. Student body, some of those kids come and administrators or what. You know, there's nothing we have to say that in secret. And she goes, you know, hon, I was watching that. And all the parents are with you. And then she goes, I watched after the game. And frankly, all the administrators are with you. You know, you're four and two, and they were three and seven last year. There's only one person in the stadium that has, has to decide is where you're at good enough, and that's you. Because everyone else, like, they understand where you're going, and they're happy with it. So she spoke those words to me, and I don't know if you guys are married. If you are, your wife probably speaks more truth to you than anyone. And she was right. Uh, the next morning, we go into film, and, and it, it helped ground me of, okay, how are we going to? speak life into these kids, fix our mistakes, move forward with our season. And after this young man named Quinn, a great kid, we get done with film and, you know, we release him and, and, and I'm walking to the parking lot and he comes up to me and he's, he's in tears and he tells me about one of his friends committed suicide the night before. And this young man was the last one to interact with him over text and had just found out uh, it was a super emotional day couple of days for our team and for our school Uh, it was really hard you know Monday school comes and it's obviously a downtrodden uh, emotional place and Tuesday I get a call probably 9 30 10 o'clock at night from our mid linebacker you know coach my my girlfriend uh, committed suicide Uh, this was our second one oh man I I just have so many negative memories uh, of that night and going over to their house, opening up our cafeteria and our quarterback at the time was such a great leader, but spending hours in the cafeteria at kids' house till two, three in the morning. You know, the next day we were supposed to have practice. And I remember myself and our defensive coordinator at the time was a guy named Brian Cabral. Brian spent decades as a, a assistant coach at University of Colorado, a linebacker, played with the Bears. And I remember I canceled school that day. So the kids could just come in and hang out with the teachers and, and so on. And myself and a couple of the coaches led a gathering outside and a prayer vigil. And, uh, and I walked into our auditorium. There's, you know, 80 of our football players in there. And you just see their face. And the only thing you could do is the coaches say, man, what can I do to help you guys? Right? Like, you, you, right. our right. job is it often is as parents. It's just take burdens away from kids. They were all hurting. They were all in pain. They were young men that we felt we had an opportunity to speak to, to say, uh, it's okay to cry as men, right? Society might tell you as a man, you never cry as a man. You're tough as a man. You don't need to talk to anyone about your feelings. And, and we felt like we had an opportunity to tell them something very, very different about that time. Honestly, the decision was pretty easy for us because when you look into the faces of hurting kids, and I just asked them, I said, guys, would it take a little of your burden away if you didn't have to worry about playing a football game this week? And they just looked at me and said, coach, we're sorry, but yes. And I, 
right? As a, an adult, you get a chance to say, you don't have to be sorry about that, right? We got to deal with our insides. We got to deal with emotion. We got to deal with grief. And that's a good thing because if you don't deal with that, it'll pop up later. And I felt right. like we had an opportunity to mentor kids to say, this is high school football. Yeah, there, there are some guys like, oh, you strap it up no matter what. No, you don't. That's not how you deal with your emotions. That's not how you're a dad. That's not how you're a husband. My heart breaks for the kids that have had to go through that tragedy. But hopefully we were able to speak truth and, and life to them. Instead of having a game that week, we had a get-together with the band, the cheerleaders. We brought them into school. We fed them. Uh, we played some games. We showed them a movie. And we tried to talk through what it meant for them to bring light into darkness. And our message for that night was just one ray of light takes away darkness. And can they be that light for others? Can they be that light in the school? Can they be that light in their families? I, I hope we were just one instrument that helped them deal with a very, very tough situation. And, and I would encourage any coach that has to deal with that to put the football on the, to put that on the back burner and say, what do kids need? to heal, to handle grief, and to understand that you have to deal with your emotions. You can't just put them in the back and say, oh, we're football players. We're tough guys. We don't deal with emotion because that's what society tells us in so many ways, and that's just not right. The COVID crisis has kind of made all of us just kind of take a step back, make things a little more simple, get your priorities back in order. And the priority at that point was the emotional health of the kids. It wasn't about, we ain't got to go play opponent X, Y, Z here this week. I mean, what's it matter in the grand scheme of things? It, it really does not matter. You just got to kind of reorganize your priorities a little bit, I think, to, to understand what really does matter. Yeah, I, I remember talking to some students, and that week I, tr I tried to encourage them. I spoke at a church uh, the, the following Sunday. I said, you know, as adults, sometimes we don't know what to do. And as kids, they don't know what to do. So just love, right? Just love. Uh, some kids came in with two boxes of Krispy Kreme donuts and just look for kids that they thought were hurting. Hey, can I give you a donut? Right? We, adults probably gave more hugs that week. That, that, that's how we help grow kids into being the, the kind of young men that we need for them to be in this world. You had a chance to coach in the 2018 U.S. Army All-American Bowl, correct? Yeah, I was I – was, fortunate to be the offensive coordinator for that game. You're on the west side against the east, if I, if I remember correctly from what I read. So were you in the one where Trevor Lawrence played? Until I feel like I owned, uh, and, and we did as coaches, own the distinction. It was Trevor Lawrence's last loss until this last BCS bowl game. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and, and Trevor Lawrence, man, uh, could he uh, – could he sling that ball around? But yeah, we coached against uh, Trevor Lawrence. I couldn't imagine the amount. Of, I was looking at the rosters for those two two teams, and it's just Alabama, Clemson, Clemson. It, it was just unbelievable the amount of talent from from your perspective. Who were like the top five you saw athlete wise? Uh, well, there's no doubt Trevor Lawrence, and, and I was really blessed. I think I attended three of five Army All American games during that time. I uh, got the, the privilege to go uh, and to watch Christian uh, McCaffrey play and then his brother Dylan and then the opportunity to coach in that. Uh, so it was a great honor. There were dudes 
all over the field. <laughs> and, and to your point, uh, I remember a tight end going to Georgia. And, I mean, at every turn, I, I was coaching quarterbacks along with being the offensive coordinator. And our quarterbacks were going to USC, Old Miss, and Stanford. It was an unbelievable experience. Probably the best player on our team. Sure, people would disagree, but uh, Jalen Waddle, who was the, you know, he's played for two years at Alabama and yeah. just special with the ball in his hand and uh, scored one of our touchdowns. So it was it was an unbelievable eight days that we were in San Antonio for. Coach, I have to give you a little bit of opportunity because it sounds like you married up just like I did. I have a wife who's very observant. I have a wife who doesn't hold back. And when I come home from a football game, she's always there to hand me something to eat, something to drink. And she'll go, you want to hear about it? Whether I say yes or no, she'll give me the truth. I watched a video of you and your family coming in, heard in the video about your wife jumping right in and teaching weights and you're telling us about how she's guiding you on and off the field. Talk her up a little bit, coach. Feel free, get your bonus points, do whatever you got to do, uh-huh. right? Um, but she seems like a, a pretty special lady. Yeah, she's unbelievable. And I, I think coaches' wives are unique. Uh, a friend of mine runs an organization called We Coach, and, and they just try to invest in coaches and their coaches' wives or coaches' spouses' ministry is an important piece of that. I just have so much respect that when we transitioned from a private school to a public school, we interviewed at a private school in Nashville, Tennessee, in a beautiful area. Uh, and when it got time to make a decision, my wife was really the one that said, you know, hon, there will be nothing easy about going to a public school. I had already had my master's degree, so I had to go back to school and get another master's to get my credential. I was a security guard for a year. And she goes, you know, I've never, I haven't, since we moved to Colorado, I haven't worked outside the home. And she does unbelievable work in the home. But I haven't worked outside the home and I can go get a job because I think that our impact will be greatest at Arapahoe. I think that's what we should do. So I'm like, when your wife says that, what do you do as a husband other than say, okay, so I don't make as much money as I did. Our lifestyle's changed first two days this week was out cleaning houses and she is unbelievable uh, her commitment to not only impacting our own kids uh, but impacting other other kids and being fully invested in the community at Arapahoe High School so I am unbelievably blessed uh, as probably all coaches would say I'm thankful that she continues to hold me accountable for areas where I'm deficient in I'm not great about my body language often I'm not great and I I get so excited and passionate during a game I don't always handle every one of those in-game interactions well and she's been the one to challenge me to say why can't you get your point across and have better interactions all the time and she speaks truth so I'm I'm really fortunate and blessed in the way that she does that yeah that's pretty awesome my wife is same kind of thing. You know, when I was going to med school, my wife worked two jobs. She worked during the day and then she went to waitress at night. And a little personal story, we didn't have enough money to eat. So I would go down to the restaurant. I would help clean up. He'd give us some food after we were done. And that's how we survived, you know? So 
at the end of my med school and residency, my wife looks at me and she goes, hey, I hear there's a job open in my hometown. That was the only statement I needed to hear. Here's a lady who's working 80, 90 hours a week. And all she's saying is, I hear there's a job open in my hometown. Not, you have to go there. Not, I heard this is available. It's awesome stuff, coach. And I actually don't even want to dive into like X's and O's. I'd, I'd like to keep going. Uh, That's good. I'm not that smart. So yeah, well, I don't, I don't know. For you. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Um, I'm going to tell you one other personal story that you were talking about earlier with kids and healing and stuff like that. So um, moved to a new school and it's a different demographic. We're learning things about the kids. They're learning stuff about us. I'm sitting in church one day, kneeling them down and I'm asking for guidance. And I go, what should I do? Should I love them up? And as soon as I finish saying it, the bell on the church rings. So you talk about somebody slapping me in the face, right? We get those, we get that guidance. Like you said, it's not just, hey, do this right now kind of thing, but you, you get the little signs that push you in the right direction. Thank you for sharing that. It's been, uh, yeah. if we ended the podcast right now, I'd be super excited and I'd go back and listen to it a bunch of times. I want to talk about some of your success on the field. I want to talk about some of this offensive success because you've obviously had a lot. I've researched you. I've scouted you just like one coach would do to another team. And uh -huh. you guys have been rolling. So don't give away the farm or give it away. It's whatever you want to do. But give us something offensively, an offensive tip, a quip, a pearl, something that you leave California, you take it to Valor, you leave Valor, you take it to Arapahoe. You're like, hey, man, you can't go broke taking a profit. And this is, this is one thing we're putting in day one. Yeah, I, I guess I would say that I think kids can do a lot more than we often ask them to or expect them to as coaches. And, and I understand the adage, uh, you know, keep it simple, play fast, et cetera. But I, I think on the flip side of that is, Kids want to be challenged in their learning. Uh, as I, I think I mentioned, I went back to school and got an EDS degree. And it was a really, I noticed for myself, I was totally different with my learning when I'm in my 40s than I was when I was in my, you know, late teens, early 20s, going to college or getting my first master's degree at the age of 24, 25. And how I embraced that learning, wanted to be pushed, wanted to think new concepts and and thoughts i believe that's true for kids and that there is some value in oh, we're going to go on the ball we're going to go fast we're going to tell our quarterback what to do with the ball but but i think there's an even greater value in enhancing the dexterity of kids you know kids are elastic and making them grow forcing your quarterback to understand where's the one tech, where's the three tech this week, we're going to run this play at the three tech, kill it at the line of scrimmage, get us into the right play, get us out of a bad play and just continuing to enhance their knowledge so that they can ultimately do what you need them to do. Blessed to coach a quarterback named Dylan McCaffrey. He's at Michigan He's battling. I know to be the starter. He was a, a six, five, probably graduated at 195, multi-sport athlete. We still ran a little bit of triple option with him. I love the triple option. I would have been foolish to run it 30 times a game with him. But we had it in our back pockets that certain games, 
we, we could run it a few times. It controlled blitz. We ran it just enough where D coordinators may have been nervous about bringing a certain pressure because if we quick pull pits, there's no one out there, et cetera. And I think some coach like, well, if you're going to run the option, you got to practice it all day, every day. We, we didn't practice it very much. We practiced it in spring without pads on. He learned his steps. He knew how to, to read the dive and he could pitch off the end, et cetera. And I don't think that makes him a worse quarterback at University of Michigan. I think it continues to grow his skill set. I won our, our tailbacks probably in 2013 and 2014. I had a pretty good tailback uh, by the name of Christian. <laughs> I remember going through spring practices and saying, you know, this spring practice, this, these 12 may practice. I just want you to practice as a receiver because I want to help grow that skill set in you so that you continue to do those things, right? He didn't need more reps as a tailback. I wanted to continue to find ways to grow him, take him out of his comfort zone, etc. So I don't, I don't want a tailback that we're just going to hand the ball to on inside zone. We want a tailback that's going to have to learn to run option routes, etc. Now that doesn't mean that in the season, we're not going to tailor everything to his giftedness, but in May and June, we shouldn't be tailoring things to his giftedness. We should be enhancing mm-hmm. what his gifts are and growing his weakness. I think that general, I think it's offensively and defensively, let's grow what we ask kids to do so that we can improve their gifts. Oh, 100%. I agree. And people can't see it right now. They'll see it when we put it on YouTube, but Jer is shaking his head like crazy. And I know he's got like 18 questions in his head right now. I'm going to make a comment first. I 100% agree. And this is why. I watched my 12-year-old press 19 buttons on a controller in Madden, Fortnite, or whatever other game he's playing and process things so quickly about where all these other dudes are in the game and how he can get it, what he has, what he needs, not only in the game theory or gameplay, and then to show up and go, hey, son, you're just going to play right here. We are just, just dumbing it down, and it's not going to help him in any way, shape, or form because literally I'm watching him compute and permutate or whatever that word is so many different variables on this screen i'm like he can handle that and he doesn't lose his cool he doesn't get frustrated with it he's just like oh you did this well i've got six answers already those games to me are their version of when we were playing chess as a kid versus playing checkers but now they're doing it with so many more different variables it's just amazing so that's my that's my soapbox. Go ahead, Jr. Go ahead. I know you got a question. <laughs> it's kind of funny after being around Bill for as long as I have. When you mentioned kids can do more than anybody thinks, it's like we make eye contact on the on the Zoom meeting here, and he automatically knows because he's heard me say many times, kids can do more than anybody thinks. My question to you would be, when did you realize that? I think when I was early as an offensive coordinator as an orange Lutheran and Trinity League or going into the Trinity League. And I wasn't sure that we were going to have the depth of talent. It, we're about a, a thousand students and modern day was 2,500 with unbelievable tradition and all those schools. And 
And the modern day coach is Coach Rollins. It's an unbelievable guy. He welcomed myself and my best friend, Brent Wieselmeyer, who's uh, with the Washington Redskins now. He, he welcomed us in and we observed their practices. And I remember talking to him about like, how do you, how do you keep all your kids motivated? And he goes, well, do you see how good our second and our third string and our fourth string is? Right. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, you should see our second, third, and fourth string because they ain't ready to go. And right, like and when we made the decision, we're gonna have to motivate through relationships. We're going to have to be extremely multiple, and we're gonna have to change and morph every year to say to look and say what what's in the best interest of our kids. So we just really sat down and and part of it for me, you know, in all reality, I've never put a helmet on in my life. I never played football. I didn't have some preconceived notions that sometimes come with playing. I had to learn everything. So I've, I've pushed back on, uh, I, I had a few years ago, I played two quarterbacks and two dads were NFL dads. And they were like, you can't play two quarterbacks. Our son can't get in a rhythm. And I was like, well, if you don't mind me asking, when an NBA team puts a shooter in with seven seconds left, they don't expect that guy to miss if he takes a shot because he's not in rhythm. Right. If I'm a, if I'm a relief pitcher and I go in with the bases loaded two outs in the bottom of the night, that's not okay. If I walk in the winning run because I'm not warmed up, like, do, so I'm like, why, why, why do we say that's okay at quarterback yet? Has anyone ever put a backup center in and said, it's okay if you fumble the, <laughs> you know, you snap it over. I mean, right. do your job. Right. right? So I think some of those things, because I never played, I'm like, I don't, I don't know that that's true. Why, why can't we throw the football and run some triple option, yet also be great in our off-tackle run game? Why not? And, and you, I guess I'm stubborn in that you can't convince me that we shouldn't be able to understand how to, that our, our linemen, yeah our veer releases and we probably won't run a ton of veer this year, but our veer releases are a different technique than when we're running inside zone. Why can't our kids learn that those are two different techniques? I don't understand why not. So some of it is just probably my ignorance and it's probably gotten me into trouble over the years, but just saying why, if we do a great job teaching kids, they can learn. We got to do a better job teaching them. Me and you have something in common because I never played that I'm really good at playing devil's advocate <laughs> with a lot of things. Cause I'm like, well, who, somebody said, well, that's the way it's always been. Who said that? Or this is the way we got to do it. Well, who said that? Sometimes I come off as being, I guess, a little bit of an ass for lack of a better word. It's a lot of similarity there. Cause I'm like, well, I'm not totally convinced that you can't do this this way. You know, so you're going to have a hard time convincing me. And when I think I'm right, it's a hard time convincing me at that point. I want to back up to something you did say. You said when you played Long Beach Poly, they had Snoop Dogg on the sideline. And I've been a Snoop Dogg fan for better or worse for a long time. So I've got to ask, what was it like having Snoop Dogg there? Uh, well, I'll tell you, Long Beach Poly, they are a team that, I mean, to say they're athletic is an understatement. I, I, they had this kid, Bryshawn Nellum. They had two kids on their team who went, to the Olympics. I remember they just played all man coverage and, and we didn't put our two most athletic receivers outside. And we frankly said those corners, I mean, we kind of told uh, our quarterback, like we don't ever want to throw up those corners. 
So we, we tried to play nine on nine versus 11 on 11. And we tried to smoke and mirrors as much as we could. Of, we would get in bunch and try to motion our fullback wide. And we kind of laughed the next day on film because there's their, you know, their corner runs a four, three, five, 40. And there's our big fullback running the go route with that corner on him. <laughs> we were just trying to play inside. They were so athletic. Frankly, we were lucky. We, we got out to a lead and we were hanging on. They had uh, Jarrell Casey, who's in the NFL now. He was one of their D tackles. Jeez. Our poor young man that was over the top of Jarrell Casey in that second half, he seemed a little more motivated than he did in the first half. We didn't have enough option plays to try to option five different guys on their team. So we hung on, though. We hung on. That's awesome. <laughs> very, very nice. I, I love it. Sticking the fullback out. Hey, you cover this guy for a while. You, you, exactly. you take this guy because I don't have anybody that you could go against. So it's yeah. all right. Well, one of the things, Coach, you were, if I could throw in, you were talking about of just how can we find better ways to do things? I feel terrible for my staff when I call them and say, like, I had an idea. <laughs> and I can just see, like, oh, their eyes are rolling. But, like, how can we do things more efficiently? So we've had this idea recently. Why do we want the same guys on the punt block team and the punt return team? What if we, what if we had two different sets of guys? Could we teach the skills better? So every time we did punt return, if we had eight guys that were just solely punt block team, man, could we be great at that? And if we had eight other guys that all they did was the return side of that and worked on the hold up and that, and frankly, why is it going to matter for a team if they realize why they're scouting us, that the punt block teams out there, what are they going to change? So I think as coaches, we're trying to find ways to say, hmm, from when we start spring, would that give us a little bit of an advantage with those guys? And how can that get us to get more kids on the field? And can now there be a different level of kids? So I think we're just trying to find ways to become more productive, get more kids on the field. Can we have three different linebackers that play in our 3-3 stack package and then play in our odd front package? And those 3-3 stack backers don't really have to learn much about reading the guard and reading the triangle and flow. And just saying, can we help our kids be successful? So I, I think as coaches, that's what we're always trying to figure out and find. Jared and I do this all the time. They're like, we're like, Hey man, let's look at this from a different angle because if we get stuck in this same box, a, we're not being creative. So it's not good for us because one of the things you mentioned was the relationship between with the kids. Right. But there's also the relationship with the coaches and whether you think it drives them crazy or not, it may, but it also makes them be more creative and, and think about what they're yeah. doing. Because if you get stuck in the same old, well, I did this for, you know, I did this for so long and we got this out of it. Well, okay, great. But we're here to learn. We're here to do things. You know, they did a study and it said the, the questions were very simple. Why do you play football? The number one answer for kids all across the country was it's fun. I enjoy it. That you have to enjoy it at some point. And why do you coach? Well, you don't coach to go out there and frustrate the hell out of yourself. You go out there because yeah. you, you enjoy it and you enjoy being around the kids and maybe it sparks some memories of when you played or didn't play or things you do, but it allows you to continue to be creative. It allows you to continue to interact and hopefully add value to other people. 
I would totally be okay if you called him like, hey, man, I got an idea. I'd be like, all right, let's hear it. Because JR and I talk that, about that. That's because he does it all the time. Yeah, I do. That's why. I do. <laughs> I do that all the time. I'm like, hey, I think if we if we added this motion, we could totally screw up their whole defensive thing. <laughs> so I think we should put it in. He's like, I agree. Yeah. I feel the same way. I, I don't know. I mean, we, we like to really adjust week to week and opening script with funky stuff. Or, and I think it's fun for kids every week to know we're putting in new stuff. Yeah. Just like the best teachers I see, when they keep tweaking little things, the students are more attentive in class. Uh, they want to learn more. So I, I think that's t- what you're saying is so true for us as football coaches. You know, JR, we should have a podcast where just coaches play online, like some kind of Fortnite or Madden game against each other and just seeing what their thought processes are, right? We just let them play. Uh, play anybody in FIFA. FIFA, yeah. I've become a FIFA expert lately. Yeah, during the quarantine, JR is all into the <laughs> soccer. I'm really good. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, coach. I'm going to ask you a poll question because we put it out on a poll a while back. JR and I contend that there are only three ways in which you can run the football inside the tackles, outside the tackles or option, which means you have a guy both inside and outside the tackles. Now, I don't care if you do that from under center split back. I don't care if you do it from flex bone gun split one back. I don't care how you do it. But JR and I contend that there are really only three ways to run the football. And if we dove into it further, there's only five ways to block it. JR and I are winning. We're winning by a lot right now. So your vote does matter, but it's not gonna it's not gonna swing us back wrong. So I wanna ask you, you've been extremely successful, all American games, state titles, playing with Snoop Dogg on the sideline and all that distraction. Do you think there are only three ways to run the football? Yeah, I'll buy into that. I think the you know gap scenes, gap scheme, zone scheme, one back, two back, all of those things. What's the reality? Well, all those schemes are running inside, outside, even a, a mid zone concept. Right at some point, the running backs choosing between an inside or an outside. So yeah, I will definitely buy into that. Perfect. Perfect. Do you have anybody at Arapahoe High School you'd like to give a shout out to here? Man, I'll tell you, during this time of uh, uh, Corona, I just miss our kids. And I, I just feel so honored and blessed to be able to work with these incredible kids. And I miss them. I miss uh, the goofiness of the weight room. I miss encouraging and challenging kids. I miss asking them why they haven't done their math homework. So it just, I think this time has allowed me to really recognize how blessed and fortunate I am. And I'm, I'm hoping that we'll be able to, to get back soon because high school football matters. And what coaches do in the lives of kids matter. And there's a whole lot of coaches who do it a whole lot better than I do. But I'm just realizing this is an important part for our kids. So, man, I just I miss the kids and the coaches that I'm used to seeing a lot more regularly than I have over the last, what, seven weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of tough. We'll get back there to a new version of normal that's probably better than the version of normal we knew. Amen. All right, Coach. So the oldest game played is tag. And Coach Kula tagged you with a smile on his face. Coach Holler tagged Coach Kula with a big smile on his face. You've been it for about the last hour. The game of tag is going on. Who are you going to slap? 
and make it. I think I'm going to tag Brian Cabral. Brian uh, works at University of Colorado right now, is a player development coach of coaches, uh, is one of the first most godly high character men I've ever been around, is one heck of a football coach, coached for a few decades. Not many guys have won a Super Bowl and won a college national championship. And he has done that. I've had the ability, it's kind of cool on our 2018 staff, we had two coaches who played for him at University of Colorado that he recruited. And he was our DC. And then uh, he left us to go back to University of Colorado when Coach Tucker got that job. I, I think would would present some great insights for coaches. Was a total players coach, loved kids. And let me be honest, he had accomplished so much in his life. He drove an hour from his home in Boulder to Arapahoe High School to coach high school football impacted so many kids i'll i'll just uh, go to my grave with so much respect for coach cabral he made us all better coach it's been absolutely amazing i think jr that he's going to get in trouble and i'm going to tell you why <laughs> coach I, I i don't think i think you tagged an amazing person but if your wife hears this and she didn't get tagged, you you might you might be in trouble a little bit. So well, she'd be in tr- she would be pretty mad if I tagged. Oh her. really? Oh <laughs> no, that's okay, Coach. It's been absolutely amazing. The joy that I saw on Coach Kula's face when he tagged you is absolutely verified. Jr. already said it. The people at Arapahoe are extremely lucky to have you. We would love to get out there sometime and meet you face-to-face instead of on this Zoom, talk some ball, and see, uh, see if we can't get a Missouri-Colorado connection going somehow and, and expand the world of high school football a little bit more than it already is. Thank you very much for your time. We would love it. And, uh, guys, I'm so thankful and appreciative of what you do for coaches. So uh, thank you for the investment you guys are making to grow coaches. Mm-hmm.